Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks again so much for downloading, tuning in, doing whatever it is you do to uh, share in our conversation and the message here at Life Church. We're praying for you all. I hope that you're staying safe and, and staying well. Uh, we're looking forward to the days where we can once again gather together in the same room and really um, honor, uh, appreciate, and get to enjoy the manifest presence of God that really only comes uh, when we are together. Uh, perhaps this doesn't need to be said, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say it anyway, perhaps lending my voice to someone who has yet to speak it themselves. But um, where we are right now, in this season, this is going to leave a mark. For the rest of our days, every person who has lived through this COVID-19-ridden season will be able to play back and recall exactly where they were, exactly what they were doing, and what life was like. It's, it's going to leave an indelible mark without question. And at the same time, I'm confident because of God's goodness, His creative influence, the, the reach of love, the greater mark mercy leaves, that the difference we have as we continue to follow Jesus in and through this, it'll be different, of course, but I believe it will leave us better. It will leave us stronger. It will leave us with a deeper affection, a deeper appreciation. It will leave us more as God intended. I'm mindful of uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18, uh, on through to the end of the, the passage. But in particular, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul speaks to this as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Speaking of the suffering, speaking of the, again, these circumstances that we find us in, ourselves in. So we don't lose heart, verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I don't read those words to minimize where we are, but as I've said this before, and I like saying it, I love even more hearing it. And I hope you're encouraged by it as well. But this is all very unpleasant and we can prosper. Hear this. Not only are we allowed to grow, heal, find joy and peace in the middle of all of this, we are appointed for growing, for healing, for finding joy and for being at peace and having peace. The very first lines of the scriptures detail creator marking creation, marking you, marking me for fruitfulness and dominion. He gives no caveat for specific exclusions from that because that is exactly what is in us. Speaking a little bit to that different, we've launched a newly functional website equipped with resources for kid life, for real life, and a podcast that hopefully you're finding beneficial. We've settled into the Sunday audio messages and rhythmic communications from the church because we know if you're anything like us, you're getting a deluge of information through email and other means. We may in the coming days and weeks adjust and tweak what we're doing as Life Church. We might add some things. 
We might subtract some things. We might change course a bit in some of our methods. This is our first pandemic, so we're flying a little bit in the dark. Thank you so much for being patient. Through it all, we are trusting God. We're trying to stay true to who we are as Christ followers, uh, as life church, and as people with certain giftings, certain capacities, and all those things. As we who serve at the highest capacity of the church, the elder team, staff team, builder teams, are all bearing the weight of a great burden that has been thrown upon us, just like all of us are, we're figuring this out as we go. Hey, this upcoming week is Holy Week, and we were going to have a Maundy Thursday gathering. We were going to have a Good Friday gathering. Uh, obviously, because of our inability to gather, we won't have those, but I will be posting messages uh, both of those evenings at 7 o'clock, at 7 p.m. So, thank you so much for, for those pieces, but uh, turn with me in the scriptures to our passage uh, that we have been reading together. Uh, we're going to be celebrating communion again at the close, so gather those things, a juice box, a Pop-Tart, whatever it is that you want to have. Um, but Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, the words of Jesus, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. You know, as we continue this series, 71 Words, I want to reiterate the impetus of our discussion. I don't want this passage to be pigeonholed for conventional, hands-folded-together prayer. Uh, it can be used for such, absolutely. But remember, we're following the lead of the disciples as they ask Jesus, Hey, teach us to pray. And these 71 words that follow are Jesus' response. And yes, it is a description and a definition on how to pray, how to entreat and ask, but also it's a description that many rabbis would have given, maybe not of this ilk, but Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you lean in your life. This is how you will with your circumstances. So the title of our series has been 71 words, showing us how to pray, think, dream, interact, and be human. Jesus is God and he's also the way to go. He does so much for us in his God capacity. He draws lines. He takes us up out of the pit. Uh, but he gives us so much more to do in showing us the way to go. How to live our current lives in our current days. I don't know about you. I'm glad that God draws a line in the sand. But I'm even more grateful for the line that he gives me to walk upon and follow each and every single day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place, wherever this message finds us. We do pray for healing in our world. We ask that the virus would be contained. We ask for physical healing for those who are in need today. We ask for emotional comfort for those who find themselves afflicted. We pray for the leadership of the United States. We pray for the leadership all over the world as they navigate this season. We love you. We honor you. We lift up the name of Jesus, which we firmly believe today and announce is a name above every other name. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Amen and amen. So our words today, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
I think it's important to dig deeper beyond what Jesus is saying. We always should dig deeper beyond just what Jesus is saying. We need to also include his how. We've spoken to this the last couple of weeks, but Jesus is speaking in overall triads here. He's got the first triad, which revolves around name, kingdom, and will. The, the your of God, uh, the divine. Uh, in the second triad, which we're working through and, and going to finish up today, revolves around bread, debts, and temptation. It's the us. It's what we're dealing with as humans. Consider for a moment the call and response nature of this, the name, kingdom, and will, the bread, debts, and temptation. There's a, there's a bit of a, a call and response that happens here. Here, as well, the suggested progression and movement, prioritizing name, kingdom, and will over the more temporal bread, debts, and temptation. Engage the starting point and the subsequent applications. That our starting points, according to Jesus, are these realities of name, kingdom, and will. And we are to use those things in the midst of our bread, debts, and temptation. According to Jesus, we can and should speak to God who he describes, remember, as father of us, we should speak to him in the imperative. We don't need to lift our hands and wait patiently for our name to be called. In fact, while they may be correct, manners at school or in some other venue, apparently God wants a different availability for his relationship with us. Now, I'm mindful, and I've brought this illustration up before, but we've been having more family meals together. There are plenty of silver linings to the storm cloud that we find ourselves in. One of them for the Fahrenbox has been we're eating meals together. Uh, there are no practices. There are no schedules to kind of work around, but lunches and dinners, a lot of breakfasts if we're up at the same time. We gather around the table together, and, and Zoe usually will end up raising her hand, waiting for her turn to speak. And the first couple of times, it was cute. <laughs> and then since then, I've kind of, I, I honestly, church, I've just been frustrated. I'm like, you don't have to raise your hand. You're my daughter. Just say something. Just, just talk. And so I think, honestly, there's a piece of God that says, hey, you don't have to raise your hand. You have my attention, son. You have my attention, daughter. Just speak to me. Just be with me. Neither are we to complain our way into a description of we want, nor are we, according to Jesus, to be mousy using deferring language. Something like, hey, God, I mean, not to bother you, but if you have time and the energy, if you've got the resources, I know you've got a cattle on a thousand hills, God, could you, would you, maybe if it's okay, I mean, this is exactly the type of communication and relationship that Jesus does not want us to have with him. Another place in the Gospels, Jesus tells this really interesting story of a woman who's coming before an unrighteous judge in Luke chapter 17 and 18. In 17, we see this whole conversation because the Pharisees ask him, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus answers them, and then he turns to his disciples, and he tells a story, a parable, chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Pause. He's not talking about himself. He's not talking about our Father, the Father of us. He's saying, hey, there's this dude in authority, and he's a bad dude. Okay, so this isn't even the goodness of God or his depiction of Father of us. He's saying there's a guy who's in authority, but he's a bit of a jerk. 
And there was a widow, he continues, verse 3, in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, again, pause, bad dude, verse 5, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Again, not father of us, not Jesus. Verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He says this unrighteous judge does well. He does something good. How much more? Will the righteous judge, the righteous father of us, speedily do what we ask for? And he concludes not with a depiction of God or this judge or juxtaposing any personality, but he says, but where am I going to find faith? In, the, in a sense, he's asking, the issue is not who is delivering it, but who is looking for it? Who is having the faith for something to be built out. Parents and, and anyone in authority with decision-making power of the quote-unquote releasing commodity type, you know, the ones who can say, you can have a cookie. No, here are the keys to the car. You, you may go do that. Not only do the squeaky wheels get the grease, but those who grind often get what they want, don't they? I mean, come on, parents, let's be honest. The askers can wear you down, wear you down am I right? I mean, maybe I've got thinner skin than the rest of you. And perhaps your parenting is more settled, more confident, and more established than mine. But if the ask keeps coming, I can't tell if it gets more legitimate or my will just can't last. Either way, the ask more often gets what it wants if it keeps coming. Now, am I proposing we can wear down God's will? No. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. Am I suggesting being rude and pushing for what we want is a lesson God wants us to learn? Nope, not one bit. That's not what I'm saying either. What I am saying is that according to Jesus, our ask should be marked with confident expectation. As an aside to my aside, because I do want to reference this, a couple of these passages in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, because we have to be careful with our ask, church. We have to be careful about what we're looking for and trying to hunt down. But Paul writes in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Whoo! There's a big difference between knowing God and honoring God, or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, get ready for this, church. Therefore, God gave them up, not because they were asking for something beautiful or in the will of God, but because they just kept coming. They just kept exchanging what was beautiful and perfect for what rather they wanted. He gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. In Psalm 81, we see this as well. 
But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. For some reason, we have this thought process that God, whatever God wants, God gets. And yet, he says, pray without stopping. Pray without ceasing. We see God constantly in this exchange. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, the familiar passage goes something like this. He says, hey, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. But we should be careful, church, with what are we hunting down? What are we desiring? What is our preference? What are we looking for? So that's all just kind of an introductory thought, if you would bear with me. Now to our words in particular this Sunday morning. Words, if you're taking notes, uh, 46 through 58. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to read something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in his commentary of this. He says, Many and diverse are the temptations which beset the Christian. Satan attacks him on every side if he haply might cause him to fall. Sometimes the attack takes the form of a false sense of security and sometimes of ungodly doubt. But the disciple is conscious of his weakness and does not expose himself unnecessarily to temptation in order to test the strength of his faith. I want to add what Packer wrote in his book. When you are not conscious of temptation, pray, lead us not in temptation. And when you are conscious of it, pray, Deliver us from evil, and you will live. To me, these words of Jesus are not to levy some reality that God takes us into dark places, but pleads for our passages to be lit with God's prevailing wisdom, mercy, and grace. This is not a fact versus fiction thing. I mean, the reality is in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is not, as I said, a fact versus fiction thing. James 1 is true, and our circumstances are filled with troubles, tribulations, and tensions. Uh, These troubles, tribulations, and tensions aren't proof of God's absence, but they are places where we can find Him faithful. They are places where we can find Him faithful. Watch this now. Just as bread and debts are part of this great human existence, Jesus normalizes. He deals honestly with temptations and evil. Just just think about that. Think about that for a second. What Jesus is saying in the second triad, we're not surprised when we see or have issues with quote-unquote bread, right? When When there's a food issue or financial shortfall or whatever it might be. We're not shocked when we encounter quote-unquote debt, whether it's emotional debts and hurts or financial debts and frustrations. But 
Then if a temptation or an evil rolls around our corner, we're like, God, where art thou? Why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, all of a sudden we're speaking in King James. We're, we're questioning the existence of God. Bread, okay, debts, we can work through that. But evil and temptation, I love how N.T. Wright addresses this in his book, The Lord and His Prayer. He makes the distinction that we have three basic answers to this problem of evil. The first is the head in the sand approach, he writes. You can pretend that evil doesn't exist or that if it does, it doesn't really matter. The second answer, the mirror image of the first, is to wallow in evil and see it all over the place. The third answer is that of self-righteousness. Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other people. (laughs) He continues, Jesus adopts none of these and he doesn't want his followers to either. His way is to recognize the reality and power of evil and to confront it with the reality and power of the kingdom announcement. The result is Gethsemane and Calvary. Jesus intends his followers to recognize not only the reality of evil, but the reality of his victory over it. We need to examine both sides of this balance. A couple more thoughts before we celebrate communion together. First, This language that Jesus uses, the language of temptation and evil and leading and delivering, is a reminder for me that sin is not a static vending machine. For some reason, we get this thought in our heads that as long as we don't go looking for it, it's not going to come find us. Sin is like a vending machine. If I don't go put the money in and press the button in, it's not that big of a deal. In Genesis chapter 4, as sin is just coming to exist and we're seeing it and hearing it for the first time, there's this interesting truth. If you do well, and will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, if I can find it in my Bible, if I'd really been prepared. There it is. <laughs> it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, sinking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. It doesn't say that sin is a roaring lion. It doesn't say that sin will overtake you. These passages remind us that it is like a roaring lion. There is movement. There are things that are trying to find us and trying to trip us up. A well-known passage of scripture I think many of us will relate to, or rather we can feel it more than others, is in Proverbs chapter 7. It's the story of this, this guy who, it, I love the verbiage, a young man lacking sense. I mean, come on somebody, raise your hand if that's you. Lacking sense, not having a perfect understanding, not always walking in wisdom. And it says this woman is looking for him. This woman goes out to meet him. She has prepared herself to try and entice him. And she does. And so my point in saying all of that is temptation and evil and leading and delivering, these things are not static. And sin and falling short and missing the mark is not something that we have to necessarily go looking for. It might be closer than we realize. Second, The original language here, as most ancient languages do, uses word picture, more than scientifically defined black and white fact. 
The word Jesus used here for deliver is an illustration of a current, of a, a flow. Think, think of a running stream or a babbling brook. This deliver that Jesus is speaking about when he says, deliver us from evil. This deliver is not a lifeguard plucking you out of danger, but an announcement that your flow is taking you somewhere. Deliver us from evil. Your flow is taking you somewhere, church. Today is Palm Sunday, and it's a, it's a little bit of a different Palm Sunday because we're not surrounded by people. But let us consider who or what is our crowd. What is our flow? The crowds we are with often show us in emphatic terms what current we are in. They are our flow writ large. I've never been caught in a riptide, but I know a lot of people have said when they're caught up in a riptide or some sort of uh, dynamic like that, they don't even realize they're moving until they look up around them and they see that their world has changed. They see that the horizon is different. Crowds have that tendency. We don't realize that we're moving. We don't realize that there's a flow even to our lives or that we are in a flow until we look up if we have the wisdom and the opportunity to do that and we look up and realize, whoa, I'm no longer where I thought I once was. Crowds too are fickle. The Palm Sunday crowd in the scriptures worshiped and regaled Jesus. They, they extolled him. Days later, the same crowd called for his crucifixion. Here's the thing about our crowds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's the thing about our crowds in today's culture. As we're sitting in our homes, maybe you're listening to this surrounded by a few people or by yourself in a car or some other smaller, slightly confined slash semi-quarantined existence. We never have to be around anyone anymore to be affected by a crowd. We have crowds. We are inundated by crowds, whether it's the news that we listen to, the podcast, the social media that we're a part of. We have to be aware of the flow that we are in. These 11 words speak louder to me. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. These 11 words strike a louder chord for me than the others. Maybe just because I know I don't hold bread, debts, temptation, and evil in the same kind of way. And I hear, I hear Jesus' invitation, even as I said earlier. I hear his invitation to treat them equally under his greater grace. But just to be honest, I feel at a loss when temptation or evil walk in my room. Bread? Man, I'll figure it out. I'll work more. I'll eat less. I'll do whatever it takes. Debts? I'll let it go. I'll try to forgive. I'll emotionally be aware. Temptation and evil are just tougher for me. N.T. Wright addresses this weightiness with a juxtaposed withness. He says this, Evil is real and powerful. It is not only, quote, out there, unquote, in other people, but it is present and active within each of us. And you can't pray these prayers of Jesus he's talking to from a safe distance. You can only pray them when you are saying yes to God's kingdom coming to birth within you. Gethsemane people, and yes, Calvary people. We are called to live and pray at the place where the world is in pain, so the hopes and fears, the joy and pain of the whole world may become by the Spirit and in our own experience the hope and fear, the joy and pain of God. He closes with this. 
by giving us this prayer, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, Jesus invites us to walk ahead into the darkness and discover that it too belongs to God. Whew! I mean, church, come on. So perhaps my difficulty, my fear or trepidation of handling temptation and evil is not that it is something scary out there exclusively, but that such scary things dwell in me. I mean, come on. It's within that final thought. I'd like to celebrate communion. So get your bread, get your cup. Because within these elements, these things, again, whether it's the bread and the cup or a Pop-Tart and a box drink or a glass of water and a half-finished donut, it's recognizing that Jesus has said for all eternity, don't be mindful of you, be mindful of me. Be mindful of not what you've earned, but what I have accomplished. My body was broken, my blood was spilled, so that you could know freedom, so that you could enter into relationship with Father of us, with God in heaven. And so what that means to church is that we're aware we have need of that saving grace. We have need of a king from heaven and making him Lord of our lives. And so, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity today to be mindful of not just what we can earn and muster up, but all that which you have accomplished. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may eat the bread and drink the cup. I'd like to give opportunity this morning. Again, however this message came your way, maybe you attend Life Church. Maybe you're quote-unquote visiting online or um, someone sent this to you through email or whatever. However you're with us today, we're so glad you're here. And we want to give opportunity for you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. For us to be able to crack open what's in us and deliver it to God, we have to first receive Him as, as He is, our loving Savior, our firm foundation. And so if you'd like to make that declaration, I'd love to pray just a few words with you. Uh, Jesus, I give you my life. In receiving him, we have to give him who we are. So just pray that with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, maybe it wasn't the first time, but a recommitment, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to come alongside you, even in this quarantine existence we find ourselves in. So you can email us. You can go online to our website, lifechurchvirginia.com, and and get in touch with us. And we will be in touch with you to, to serve you and help you through your next steps. Because Jesus, I give you my life is not something we pray once and then just roll about our way. It's something that we continuously endeavor to step into and, and follow his words. Hey, we love you all so much. We're thankful that we have the technology to be able to relate with one another. We're going to be coming out with groups uh, for this season in just a couple of days, and uh, we'll be shooting out some emails and communications and such. But know that we love you. We miss you. We're praying for you. and we're, we're, we're really looking forward to the day where we can also gather in the same room. At the same time, we believe that God's doing a great work right where we are as we continue to open up our hearts and our minds to Him. 
Let me leave you all with a benediction. May we acknowledge and be aware of the temptations, the evils as they exist round about us. May we acknowledge and be aware of the temptations and evils as they exist in us. May the flow we are in find us moving away from those things and bring healing to our soul. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you all so much. Stay well and stay safe.